Well, good evening. Merry Christmas. Isn't that fun? We're here again. We get to say Merry Christmas. Uh, this is truly one of our, our favorite services that we get to do every year. Um, we love coming, and, and at the end, we do a candlelight, so hopefully you all have candles, and it's going to get like 20 degrees warmer in here at the very end. Um, but it's just a, it's a beautiful time in which we just come, and it's simple, and our whole thing is we just want to take a few moments just tonight and just praise our God. And so uh, really we're going to unpack really the song we just sang where we began singing the very names of Christ. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. And so we're going to just look at a common passage that many of us have probably heard of when we, we think of Christmas. will be in Isaiah 9. Um, and I was just preparing for today and thinking about just Christmas. It's obvious that the world loves Christmas, Right? Like, the world loves Christmas. I mean, we, we have lights, we have trees, we have presents. Some people spend all day in their pajamas. We don't judge much, but, you know, you might be those people. Some people drink eggnog. I know Chris Gorman does. Like, he likes eggnog. Um, some of you don't. Uh, people enjoy caroling, going on sleigh rides, going to Christmas villages like Leavenworth. I mean, there's a lots and lots of Christmas traditions, and even those who who have lost loved ones, it can be difficult, but I found that, that many of them still, there is a joy that they experience just in the Christmas season. It is a beautiful time of the year, and yet I would say for the Christian, we could have none of that. We could have no caroling, we could have no trees, we could have no presents, we could have no bells, we could have no eggnog, which good or bad, um, and Christmas would still be one of the most meaningful and important days that we celebrate all year, without traditions, without any of the decorations that go with it. And so that's, that's what I just want us to look at tonight. I just want to look at a moment, uh, for a moment, what Scripture says about the beauty and significance of Christmas. And so what I want to do is I want to read Isaiah, and we commonly stand, and so I'm just going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This passage is written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, and it looks forward to his birth, and it looks in anticipation of what Jesus brings. And so here we go, Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have, multiplied the, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they, divide, when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior is in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government should be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me pray. Father, Father, we thank you for tonight. 
God, we thank you that we can gather this evening on the eve of Christmas, on the eve in which we celebrate your birth. And we can take a moment to remember the significance of your son Jesus coming into this earth in the flesh. That he would one day come and save us by dying on the cross, rising from the grave three days later, establishing your kingdom. A kingdom that has no end, a kingdom in which you will reign, a kingdom in which all who believe in you will forever dwell and forever enjoy your blessing and your presence and riches. And Father, we praise you tonight. So bless us, move us to awe, move us to wonder, increase our joy as we just look at your scriptures, at the anticipation of your son Jesus and your name Jesus. Amen. You all may be seated. Um, it's fun with all the, normally we have nursery, and so we have like every child in here, and, and so I want you just to like think, that's probably what it sounded like all in the first ch uh, century churches as they're gathering, they had no child care, so they're all in there, they're all gathering, and when you think about just that first Christmas with, in a manger, with smells and animal noises, like, it is an amazing time, and so I especially want to say to you as parents, it is awesome, we're glad that you are here, and we're glad that your, your children are um, making sounds of excitement, <laughs> and so we are glad, though, that we can celebrate, but I just want to, I just want to walk through this text, and I just pray that as we, we look at this, just remember, this is Christmas. This is, the, this is the anticipation that the Old Testament has as it looks forward to the birth of Christ, and it's the hope that we have because we know he came. We know he has accomplished this and is accomplishing it. And so we begin, and in the text it just says, everyone lives in darkness, Everyone lives in darkness, everyone walks in darkness, and if you're not sure what that means, I want to take just a moment and explain that. So in the very beginning, we see that God creates humanity. He creates everything, and he creates us in his image that we would know him, that we would love him, that we would experience blessing and joy and his, and his very riches of just himself. But then what we see shortly after creation is Adam and Eve, the first two people, rather than obeying God, they rebelled against him. Rather than living for his glory, they said, hey, what if we do what we want? What if we live for our glory? What if we try to make much of our name instead of God's name? And so when Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God, they not only plunged themselves, but they plunged creation and all of humanity into darkness. Which means no longer did humanity, no longer did creation experience the warmth and the joy of God's blessings. And the result is that there is, there's evil, there's pain, and there's suffering in this world. And we see natural disasters, things like earthquakes and hurricanes and tsunamis and so many things we see because of that. We see that there are diseases like, like cancer, like COVID, like Parkinson's, like, like so many things that either you've experienced or that you know others have experienced. We see that there's also relational or humanity experiences, just brokenness within ourselves, within our relationships. We struggle with anger, with murder, with racism, and so much more. And what we see is when we look at this world, darkness isn't limited to one part of the globe or one people group, but it's everywhere and with every people because darkness isn't out there, which is what we want to think. We want to think the darkness is there, it's your problem, it's not my problem. But when we come to scripture, we see that we all have dark hearts, that we have all sinned, and apart from God's grace, 
We're under his punishment and his wrath. We're all rebels against God. But then, right after it talks about this darkness that everyone, dwell, that everyone dwells and walks in, it says in verse 2, a light has come. There's a light that's pierced through the darkness, and it gives hope in this world. And you say, what does this light do? Well, then Isaiah switches metaphors, and he turns in verse 3, and he says, there's a joy that's spreading all throughout humanity. And it's increasing. And he describes it in two ways. He describes his joy as, as a farmer. Now, uh, there's not many people who are farmers here. But as a farmer who has come time for harvest, and there is a harvest. There's a crop. It's produced. And for an agricultural people that live with ever, based upon everything that they grow, this is good news. They're going to have food. They're going to be able to survive. And then he turns from that, from, from that picture to to a joy that's likened to the defeat of an enemy. And he says, the war is over, and now we're dividing the spoils of victory. And in verse 4, he expands on this military language by saying, the rod of the oppressor has been broken, and all the clothing and all the weapons of war are going to be burned, and there's no more need for soldiers. Which then kind of leads us to go, what is this great light? What is this joy that spreads throughout all of humanity? What is this hope that ends all wars and removes all soldiers and all enemies? And that's when we come to verse 6, the climax of this passage where it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. You see, brother, all these blessings... This light that pierces the darkness, the hope that we have, the joy that we have, the, the end of all evil, the end of all pain, the end of all suffering, the end of all war is all because there's going to be a baby who's going to be born someday in the future. And it makes us go, well, this has to be a pretty spectacular child. This child must be pretty amazing if it's going to be through him that all these blessings are going to come. And of course... From where we stand now in history, we know it is a pretty spectacular child because it's the very Son of God who came in the flesh. And so the rest of what Isaiah does in verse 6 and verse 7, he just says, and let me tell you about this king and his kingdom. Let me tell you about what's going to happen on the day that this child is born, the kingdom that will come into this world. And so that's, that's just what I want to look at. We're going to look at the kingship. In the kingdom of Christ. And so we start with four names. And we just sang the four names of Christ in that last song. And those aren't, just, those aren't just names. Those aren't just titles. But when we come to names in scripture, they always describe the person, their character, and what they will do. And so we're just going to walk through. So I just have six truths I just want to see about Jesus and about his kingdom. Number one, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Do you know that? Like every decision that Jesus makes is right. Can you imagine that? Like how often do you wrestle with, what am I supposed to do here? Did anyone struggle with buying presents? Like I, I don't really like buying presents a whole lot, especially now that everything's digital and I can't go like touch anything prior to buying it. But it's a lot harder now. So it's hard. We have difficulty making decisions, and yet we're told Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He always knows exactly what to do. And you can't miss the contrast. We're, we're born in darkness. 
We walk in darkness. We stumble because of the sinfulness in our hearts. We're, we're foolish. We don't always know what to do. But then there's a child who comes into the world who possesses infinite wisdom. And you go, how does he do that? Well, the word wonderful is the word pele in Hebrew. And it's the closest word that the Hebrew would have for supernatural. It's a supernatural wisdom. It's a godly wisdom. Jesus never had to ask Siri what to do. Isn't that good news? Like never is he, hey, I wonder how this happens. We ask Siri a lot of questions in my house. But Jesus, Jesus is the perfect king, always knows exactly the best course of action. Number two, he's the mighty God. So at Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus comes in the flesh like you and me, that he would be king. And while he's like us, he's unlike us, and he's unlike any other ruler and any other king that has ever lived because Jesus isn't weak. He's, not, he's never given in to temptation. In fact, we're told he carries the government on his shoulders, and it's not heavy for him. We're told that he, he never gets tired, he never gets frustrated because he's mighty. He's infinite in power. He is strength. Isn't that good news? He's not strong. He is strength. There's a difference. You can be strong, but then if you work out and you don't eat enough, you can get weaker or tired. Jesus is strength. He is power. He is might. He's perfectly and infinitely strong. Next, he's everlasting father. This speaks of how he relates to you and me. I want you to think about that. When you believe in Jesus and you're brought into the kingdom of God, we're not brought in as slaves, and you're not brought in as a citizen who lives down the street, far away from the kingdom, and you can kind of see the kingdom, and maybe you have pictures of the throne room, but you always look at them from a distance. But rather, what we see is that Christmas is about Jesus coming as the Son of God so he would make you and I sons. He comes as the Son of God that he would bring us from the kingdom of darkness, not only into his kingdom, but into his throne room where we, where we would live with him as sons and as daughters, as family of the very Son of God. That's how he relates to us. And as a perfect, everlasting father, it means that he will provide for us. It means that he protects us. It means that he's gentle, he's loving, he's kind, he's patient. Christmas is about we who are rebels being saved and brought, into, brought from darkness into the throne room that we would know God, that we would live with him and experience his joy and his blessings forever. And then the fourth name, he's the Prince of Peace. Jesus' rule is characterized by peace. His kingdom is characterized by peace. I want you to think. like Just think, think about your own house. Think about America, think about whatever kingdom, whatever nation you want. Can you imagine a kingdom where there's no fighting, where there's no anger, there's no murder, there's no division, there's no racism, there's no envy, there's no lust, there's no oppression, there's no, there's no presence of evil at all? There is no stumbling in the darkness? How is that even possible? Well, that we have to remember, what's the biggest problem of humanity? It's not my relationship with you and your relationship with me. It's our relationship with God. Remember, there's a darkness, and the darkness is in our hearts, and that's why Jesus came. 
Jesus came that he would be born as a child so he'd be like you and me. And then he would live for 30 plus years where he'd eventually go to the cross. And he would be nailed to that cross in your place, in my place, where he'd bear the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, so that we who believe in him would then be forgiven of our sins. And we're told that then we have peace with God. Do you remember um, when, when the Dort family came up and Ben read from Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the angels appear to the shepherds, and what do they cry out? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus came to bring peace. Jesus is peace. And believing in him, we have that peace. There is no condemnation for the believer. In fact, Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That all happens because of Christmas. And when Jesus returns for the second time, he gathers all those who have believed in him, all his children, that we would live with him forever in his kingdom where there would be no trace of darkness ever again. Now, if you look through history, you see nation after nation emerge. And what do you see after that? Nation after nation fall, right? So we're built... In looking at nations, we're wired this way to go, okay, there's a lot of things that have a great start, that start well, even gain a lot of traction, but in the end, we always know what happens, right? It will fail, it will fall apart, every corporation eventually will divide, nothing lasts. So how long will this kingdom last? How long will Jesus stay on his throne? Well, Isaiah tells us, verse 7, he says, from this time forth, and forever. Jesus came, born king, that he would stay king forever. There, there's no term limits. There's no impeachments. There's no expiration. There's no end to God's perfect kingdom. And in verse 7, we're told that Jesus' throne is upheld with righteousness and justice. So that means two things. Number one, it means everything that Jesus does is righteous and just. And it means that his entire nation, his entire kingdom, is characterized by righteousness and justice, which means when we live with him forever in the new heavens and new earth, everything you do will be right and just. Isn't that incredible? Everything in his kingdom will be perfect. There will be no darkness, not even a shadow. Isn't that crazy? There is no darkness in the kingdom of God. Perfect peace, Perfect righteousness. I mean, just imagine a kingdom, no political division. Like maybe like even 50 years ago, you might in America, okay, I kind of like see that, but not now for sure, right? Like imagine a nation, no political division, no corruption. Imagine a house, no one raises their voice. Imagine, no grump. Why are you laughing at that? I think my wife laughed first. Do you have something you want to share? No? But there's no grumbling. Imagine no grumbling. If you're a parent, no temper tantrums, no crying, yours or your kids. That's Jesus' kingdom. It's perfectly loving at all times in a holy, perfect, pure love. And so the last point. The last thing I just want us to see today, and this, this last point answers, so how do we get into this kingdom? 
How do we get in? How do we become citizens of this kingdom? In verse 6, it's the first words that introduce Jesus. Notice, notice what it says. To us, a son is what? Given. It's really easy to read over those words. It's like, oh yeah, to us a son is given. To us a child is born. That sounds great. Let's move on. But to us a son is given. He comes as grace. He comes as grace. We don't deserve him. We didn't merit him. He's not in our debt in any way, but rather out of the pure goodness and riches of God's great mercy and grace and love, he sends forth his son. And Jesus, we're told in Hebrews, comes with great joy. So he joyfully comes and the spirit comes and strengthens him and equips him. So the full Trinity is sending Jesus to come that out of great joy, he would come be our king. And so how then do we believe in, how then do we come into this king's kingdom? Well, he comes to us as grace so that we would simply believe in him. By grace, we are saved. We don't earn our way into this kingdom. Just as Jesus was given, he then gives us grace. So we would believe in him and we would have a new citizenship with him forever. So how, so how do we enter? We believe in Jesus Christ and by believing in him, believing in the Son of God who came at Christmas, born in the flesh, lived and died and rose again on Easter, conquering sin, death, and Satan, you have eternal life. You can know that Jesus is your king and that you have citizenship with him forever. So I want to encourage you, as you sit around, as you sit around the tree tonight, as you sit around the tree tomorrow, remember that Christmas is the announcement that Jesus has come. He's the Son of God. Not a created being, but the Son, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. He's the light that has pierced the darkness. He's the hope that's come into the world. So when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating hope. We're celebrating life. We're celebrating joy. We're celebrating our King and the kingdom that has come. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close by just singing together a couple of songs. Father, Father, we praise you tonight. And God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. We thank you that you sent him, that he would be born in the flesh like, like us. That he would be fully human. So that one day he would be able to go stand in our place on that cross as a perfect substitute, dying in our place. And God, we know that there is no Easter without Christmas. And the reason we have Christmas is because we need Easter. And so, Lord, I pray that we never separate these two incredible days of Jesus Christ, his birth and his death and his resurrection. And so, Lord, I pray, I pray for every parent here that as they celebrate tomorrow the joy of opening presents, the joy of being with family, that they would disciple all of their children to know that the greatest present is truly your son, Jesus Christ, the one that you have given, that we would have everlasting life. We praise you. In your name, Jesus, amen.